Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. I am Alan Seals. And I'm Jillian Hoffman. How are you doing? I'm so great. Why are you great? Because we just launched a Patreon Because we campaign. just launched a Patreon. Is it a Patreon campaign or a Patreon? I believe it is a Patreon because it's ongoing. A campaign has an end date. Oh. And well. we will never end. Yeesh. Well. Disclaimer. Don't hold me to anything I say. <laughs> Hopefully, if we get enough supporters on Patreon, then we won't be—we won't have to end. We can uh, possibly do more episodes. We can do more great content, give you more access to people and the shows you want to know about. And plus, it just helps us, you know, pay our editor. And the graphic changes for the takeovers are are not free. And speaking of takeovers, speaking of takeovers. This is nice now, segue. <laughs> this is now May, which is now going to be brought to you by The Prom, which was just nominated for seven Tony Awards, Woo-hoo! including Best Musical. The episode here with Josh Lehman, he is Sheldon in The Prom. And man, what a, what a unique guy. I We, we love Josh. Um, we actually, you'll find out in the episode, but we've done some work with Josh in the past. You'll find out all about it. Yep. And... Uh, Josh is someone who you may think you know him, and it turns out you really don't. And that's that's really a universal thing. You may think somebody is one thing, and you get to know them more, and you see there's different sides of them. And he is just so, so wonderful and has been through so much and yet is still here and standing tall. And He owns it, too. He owns every bit of it, and I, I respect him. And I've, I've known him for a little while now, and every time I meet him, like I learn something a little bit nif- different and new and different. Like, did, did I say different? You did, oh. and I, I'm coining that term. Different, yes. Different. Yes, you learn something different about Josh. Um, but gosh, he, yeah, he owns it. He stands tall. He's he's literally lived at a crack house. Literally had his life endangered by an abusive relationship. Come out of it a bigger person, a better person. And like he, the message he tries to get across, though, was very inspirational. You know, it's. I don't like, think he's, but I don't think he intends to be inspirational. No, I think it's no, just. No, I think the most inspirational people don't. Yeah, they don't intend to be inspirational. Josh is is the poster child for hashtag It Gets Better, yeah. and it really does. And he's the prime example of you can decide what you want your life to be, and nobody can stop you. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a fair warning for those who are easily offended by adult themes or offensive language. Um, <laughs> Josh is full of it. So <laughs> full of offensive languages and adult themes, but man, it's worth it. May not be suitable for children. Yeah. If you're or depending if you are of a theater kid, it may be very suitable for children. <laughs> yes. Everybody head over to patreon.com slash the theater podcast and check out the tiers for less than your average Starbucks cup of coffee. You can get your foot in the door and just help us out. Gosh, we have so many levels for so many different options, uh, getting your name in the show notes, getting shout outs on the show. We actually have a level where you can record this reflection with us. I bet you want to do that. (laughs) And we have a tier where you can come to New York and uh, have dinner on a show with us. So that would be kind of fun. We'd love to meet you and see a show of your choice because who doesn't love seeing shows? All right, now everybody, please enjoy this episode with Josh Lehman. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. 
In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. A man of many talents, a man of many voices, a man of many lives. I'm currently sitting here with Josh Lehman, who is currently Sheldon in The Prom on Broadway that was just nominated for seven Tony nominations, including Best Musical. How are you doing? Hi, Alan. I'm great. How are you? You have the best smile. Thanks. It's true. Listeners (laughs) at home, you can even hear how beautiful my smile is. You can. You can. When people smile into an audio recording device, you can hear it. It's well, like I also just have a nasally voice, and that just makes people think of smiles, I think. Really? I think. I don't know. So if, hey. If I because if I this, talk like this, you wouldn't think that I'm smiling. Do you have any other voices? Um, I can do Andre to Shields. Do it. It's a sad song. <laughs> it's a wonderful song. We have I. That's my Andre to Shields. Give me a Tony. All right, you got it. Here you go. Tony, thanks. I have just cloned it from my Star Trek uh, shit. What You're are they called? You're such a nerd. Not clonerizers, replicate, replicators. I God, don't it's know. It's been too long since I've seen Star Trek. I don't know. I, I watch mature things like Big Brother. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> shut up. Both of you, shut up. Everybody in this place, in the studio, shut up. So let's start. Um, go back. Take me back to your childhood. We start on this podcast with well, the, with the very Well, on a wintry beginning. evening of December 30th, 1980, the stars kissed the moon and I was born. Um, okay. I'm only two months older than you. I thought, are, are you really? Yeah. Okay, yeah. No, I was born in San Diego. I'm adopted. So... Um, my biological mother, uh, who's an amazing woman, I'm very lucky to know her. Um, she found she had, uh, I guess, gave me away to the Lehman family, um, and that's sort of how the story begins. It's a sad song. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into. I guess the uh, reconnected. Did you always know your biological mother? No, or? but I always knew that I was adopted. Yeah. I had books growing up that were like, you're special because you're adopted. So I thought that I was the shit. Like my sister, who is not adopted, you know, was like, fuck you. I'm adopted. I'm special. You're trash. You know? And um, yeah, so I always knew. I didn't find my biological mom till I was 16. I was supposed to wait till I was 18, but... um. You know, it's weird when you're adopted. For me, like, I always had this urgent need to find my biological family. Even though, like, my adoptive family, they are my family. Like, 
sometimes people are like, well, you know, are your real parents? And I'm like, no, these are my real parents. Like my biological mother is my biological mother. She's never going to be my mom. Right. You know, that's, it's different. But um, like my little brother's adopted and he had zero interest. I think he still has zero interest. And so I guess it's all individual, but um, yeah, so I... I hope I'm not rambling. No, okay, no, no, no. Good. This is this is very curious to me. Uh, I, I've got a as another close friend of mine. I met with about a month ago. This reminds me, I need to follow up with her. That she was she's adopted, and someone she she did a, a 23andMe or a uh-huh. my DNA whatever it is. Yeah, and like um, someone reached out on the website and was like, "Oh, hey, I think you're like my second cousin based on DNA match." And she's like, "I don't know who these people are." Yeah, and like overnight. She's like, I think this is my biological dad. Yeah. I think your uncle is my biological father. Yeah, I I did 23andMe recently as well, just so uh, I, I hope you're sponsored by them. Um, <laughs> because, like, I don't know my, you know, genetic background really all that well. And so it's so weird. I'm like, oh, my God, I have all these cousins. And that's what they look like. And that's where they live. And they support what presidential candidate? Um, yeah, so... Yeah, she she was torn between whether or not she wanted to know and reach out or whether or not, like, you know, it's kind of like opening up. Uh, it was kind of a wound for her. Yeah. Because sure. she's very much, I guess, uh, you know, like her, her, her parents are her adopted parents, mm-hmm. adoptive parents. Um, and then finding out this other guy who's just here who has a family and children of his own, like, why did you give me up? And yeah. Why? What's going on? No, I mean it's all confusing. My biological father, um, he has a daughter, my half sister, and you know, same sort of thing. I was like, why couldn't you have kept it together? You know, but um, you know, but but with that, like being in just a human, I always say you don't pick your relatives, but you do pick your family, and. You know, just because you find these cousins doesn't mean they have to be in your life or, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'm not in touch with my biological father, but on purpose. But, um, you know, my biological mother, I want her to be a part of my life. Right. And is is she still part of your life? Oh, yeah. yeah. She lives in California. She's fantastic. I mean, because like really, and also to be able to get to know her and say thank you for doing what you did because... You know, how selfless is that? If I had, if I was like a teenage girl, you know, feeling all alone in the world in a abusive situation, the first thing that I would think is finally I have something that I can love and that's going to love me back. Finally, I have a family, which a lot of young women choose to do. Mm-hmm. But she said like, no, I, I can't ruin your life. Like I don't, I can't even support myself. Is that what happened? She got pregnant young? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, lived in a, had a very, um, I guess difficult is the word, uh, home life and was living with my biological father and his family that were not very nice to her. And he had massive drug problem. And, you know, she, because she was able to give me a life that she felt she couldn't and that she wanted for me, she was also able to choose herself and put herself through school, find a wonderful man, get married. They have a beautiful life. So it's uh, it's all a really good thing. Hmm. Well, I, it sounds like you've made peace with it. Sure. I mean, there's always going to be a broken bird aspect 
to me in that regard because like, and I always joke, like I have abandonment issues, but like, of course, you know, there's always going to be some issues, but as you get older, life is life and, you know, get into it. That's what you're, that's, that's your, you know, deck of cards. Do you think you, you want to adopt one day? No, I don't think I want kids one day at all. Though I do like the idea of fostering older LGBTQ youth. I have a spare room, so I sometimes I kind of honeymoon the idea of like, yeah, if some like trans or queer kid like that's been kicked out needs a home and maybe doesn't need a parent, but needs like somebody older like a loving, caring support system that is there to help them sort of leave leave the nest into the adult world. I like that idea. Yeah. But well, knowing knowing what I know about you, I think that resonates with your own childhood a bit as well because it sounded like you needed that. Oh, yeah. I mean, my childhood like it was not really that fun. Like I did not get along with my family at all from a uh, I don't know, maybe like fifth, sixth grade on, you know, there was just this like really, I, I don't know, it always felt very cold, very distant, and um wasn't anybody's fault. But um now as a, as adults, like we we have relationships. But um, you know, everybody's trying the best that they can. And no matter what, if you're a parent, no matter what you do, you're probably gonna fuck up your child somehow. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm worried about <laughs> Speaking that. Speaking to day. a dad of yeah. two boys. <laughs> Congratulations. So, yeah, they're already messed up. Um, what? At what point did you kind of decide that that the home life you were in was not for you, and and you like you kind of left and went on your own? And oh yeah, and, like how old were you when you left? I was eighteen. You know, like I. Um, I, I grew up in San Diego, and the minute I turned 18, I moved to Philadelphia for school. I was a terrible student. My Like, nobody thought that I was going to graduate high school. And my dad came to me, and he was like, Josh, I found a college that will accept you. It's not New York, but it's Philadelphia. And I was just like, yeah, okay. So I filled out the application, and sure enough, they accepted me. And I was like, bye. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And you always, did you know at that point, did you always know that you wanted to perform? Because you, oh. went, you went to, Phil, to Philly for performing. Yeah, for the, yeah, since I was a toddler, my mom used to take me to go see plays at San Diego Junior Theater. We had season tickets, front row center. And, like, those are my happiest childhood memories, was seeing shows with her. And, um they were always so supportive of that. They took me to see everything. Like, even, like, being a little kid, like, the National Tour of Follies, which I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> and now I'm like, this is the best show ever. <laughs> um, you know? Uh, so, yeah, those, those were my happiest memories. And, um, you know, my mom recognized that. She found a junior theater in our little town and uh, put me in the plays there. And then... My first regional job was when I was 10 in uh, Gypsy. And, um, you know, and they, they weren't supportive in the fact that, like, I really wanted to be a child actor. And they let me dabble in, like, you know, regional theaters. But besides that, they were like, you're not getting an agent. We're not schlepping you to L.A. Um, and I was insistent that they were ruining my career. 
And they were like, here's 10, you don't have one. <laughs> well, it's because of you. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so you moved to Philly, and then I, I read an article uh, to prep, prep for this that was saying that you actually almost, you did fail your acting class? Or you almost yeah. failed out of your acting class? I failed, or I shouldn't say I failed, because fuck that, I did not fail. They, his name was David something. Oh, I wish I could remember his name. God, I hated him. He tried to friend me on Facebook recently. And I was just like, you dick. Like, no. <laughs> but um, he failed me in my acting studio sophomore year. Uh, and, you know, with all due respect, I was a mess. I was at school to party, basically. Um, but I remember going like, I know I'm not Meryl Streep, but I'm not a failure. And it put me into this huge depression spiral. And I was just like, you know what? I'm done with school. I quit. I'll, you know, I'll make it work. And all I need is drugs. And that was like my mindset. I was so messed up. And um You were 19, 20 at this point? I was 19 and I dropped out of school. My parents cut me off financially. They were like, oh, well, you want to be in the real world? Welcome to it. And, um, you know, I was just a disaster. So I got a job at the Starbucks across the street from my school, which was awful because then all these motherfuckers from my school that were like totally judging me, not judging me, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I had to serve all these dicks coffee. <laughs> you know, even that monster David who failed me. <laughs> like I had to serve him coffee. I was like, this is so poetic. And then I got fired from Starbucks. Um, and meanwhile, I'm living in a crack house. Literally, it is a crack house. It was maybe like 150 bucks a month. So it was very affordable. Um, I was living with this guy that I was in a in a relationship with who was extremely abusive. I didn't realize it at the time. And we were also, like, literally, like, so many drugs that, you know, I just, I wasn't myself. And I was so in love with him and didn't realize that I was being, like, that my life was literally in danger. Um, but when I got fired from Starbucks, I found an ad in Philadelphia Weekly looking for phone actors. Mm-hmm. And I was like, phone actors? That's hilarious. So I called. And they were like, you know, this is a phone sex, you know, operation. I was like, <laughs> I, I figured as much. They're like, and you'd have to be a girl. We do have guys work in the office, but that's the gig. Do you want to come in for an interview? And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> as a matter of fact, yes, I do. As a matter of fact, I was just in college for acting. So you're in luck. You know, and um, so I was a phone sex operator in an abusive relationship with a meth head. And then, um, you know, I, I got really lucky. I was, and this is just to make a long story short, I uh, saw an ad in the paper looking for actors for media theater's production of Jekyll and Hyde, starring Andy Carl. <laughs> How full circle is that? Groundhog Day, um, yeah. Yeah, but um, I went. I went with a totally fake resume because I didn't have any experience other than like a newsboy and gypsy and, you know, 
89 or whatever. And um, so I went and I even put theater companies that existed not knowing they existed. I was just like, Philadelphia Theater Company, that sounds like a theater. And <laughs> not knowing that they're like, <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a theater. It's a major, major theater. Um, and, you know, on the local audition form, they wrote how many EMC points, which is equity membership candidate. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what EMC meant. I didn't know what the points were. So I put something like 120 <laughs> points or something obscene. Don't you only need like 52? Yes. Yeah. You know, if I knew then. And so I sing 16 bars. I sang Virginia by Frank Wildhorn. Because he also wrote. Wait, didn't he write Jekyll and Hyde, Frank Wildhorn? I think so. Yeah, this is the moment. Yeah. Yes. So I sang yes. 16 bars of Virginia. And they said, thanks. And then about a week later, I got a phone call. And they were like, hi, uh, we'd like to offer you a role in the ensemble. And um, we would also like to offer you your equity card. And I was like, you're giving me my equity card? And they said, well, you know, out of out of the pool, you have the most experience. So if you would like it. And I was like, <laughs> yes. Yes, I would like my equity card. Um so my career is based on a pyramid of lies, but um, I was really lucky. I worked there the entire season, um, most of the entire season. And then literally when things got so bad at home, and I mean like when I say like my life was in danger, like I had to move out in the middle of the night. It was one of those kinds of things. Um, everything I owned was destroyed by the sky, like a mattress with like, you know, like took a knife to it. Like Oof. everything was destroyed. I was homeless, living on a friend's couch who had like six roommates, so I wasn't the most welcome. And I just remember going like, fuck, um, I guess I'll move to New York. And so I moved to New York. When was this? What year? Oh, God. That was uh, 2003, I think, about then. Right. Um, and then for the first few years in New York, I really just lived in New York, but worked in Philadelphia and lived on friends' couches while I did, you know, shows down there. So I was able to build a resume at all these, you know, like Walnut Street Theater, the Arden Theater Company, which is one of my favorite companies in the world. Um, they really took me in and just like gave me show after show after show and, um, I was able to support myself and I, you know, was able to like sort of like let go of the whole druggy thing and just sort of be me. And, um, you know, it wasn't easy commuting <laughs> and living on people's sofas and basements and whatnot. But, um, you know, it gave me a resume and it gave me a real uh, resume. Yeah, it gave me a real resume. Um, you know, I remember years later looking at my resume and being like, oh, it's actually real. <laughs> <laughs> Does Andy Carl remember meeting you oh so long ago? Um, I mean, he remembers me because, like, we've stayed in touch vaguely. Like, when I'd see shows with him, I'd let him know. Or um, he was so sweet. He invited me to the reading of Altar Boys, like the final reading. And I remember being like, yeah, this is cute, but who's the audience? <laughs> Jokes on you. I know, and it blows up. Um, and uh, yeah, and then it come Groundhog Day, like 
uh, it was just the happiest of reunions. That's cool. Yeah, and I he's love, a great man. And he's great. I love him. Um, when you when you moved to New York, um, you said you said your ex boyfriend was a meth head. I assume uh-huh. that means that you do a lot of meth too. I luckily um, for somebody with like a very addictive personality, meth made me really violently ill. So I would do it with him, but not often. And um, so I never got hooked. If oh, I good. thank God, because if I did, I don't think I'd be here today. Yeah. Because I think you've been quoted as saying theater saved your life. Yeah, absolutely. Like literally saved your life, yeah. Yeah, I mean also friends saved my life. Like I wouldn't have left if it wasn't for uh, my best friend at the time who was like, Bill is going to kill you tonight if you do not leave. And like you have to go now. Do not take anything. You can't bring your cat. You have to go or you will die. Oof. And, you know, it was true. Wow. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad for your friends. I'm oh, glad you're here. Me too. Me too. Because you have made a lot of difference on the Broadway stage and Thanks. a lot of difference to people's lives. And now being in the prom too, I know that's changed you. The prom itself is uh, it's about it's a it's based on a true story about mm-hmm. two 17 year old lesbians who kind of get like in the middle of nowhere Midwest that get ousted from their own prom. Yeah. And uh, like, how has this resonated? With you, how has it changed you as a person? Um, Well, it resonates. I mean, being like a queer person, and I use, you know, the word queer for as an umbrella term for the LGBTQ plus community. Um, You know, we grew up in a time which was a lot more liberal than sometimes. But, um, you know, at school, I was still a fag. At school, I was still getting my head slammed into lockers or chased home on a go-kart while they threw rocks at me for being gay. So, like, I know what that feels like. As an adult in 2019, I still don't feel very comfortable holding someone's hand. Just because if you do that, you are actively resisting. You are actively putting yourself at risk if there's a lunatic. Hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's still so relevant. Um, when we did the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, it was the first time there was a same-sex kiss on the, on the broadcast. And I tweeted that. Next thing you know, every major, like, news outlet has taken my tweet and is airing it. And... Next thing you know, like, I have every major hate group in the world coming at me on Twitter. Like, it was insane. Keep in mind, like, the majority of what I got was love. But when you're getting, like, hate and death threats and, like, crazy shit, it's like, yeah, yeah, maybe this is a lot more relevant than than maybe I thought. Because, you know, we live in New York. We live in this beautiful bubble of diversity, but it is a bubble. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you, you still, I still get the conversations of, you know, like, oh, no, I'm okay with gay people. Yeah, you know, I got gay friends. And it's like, yeah, that does make me feel better knowing that I'm not about to get beaten. But at the same time, that's still a conversation that has to be had. So seeing this story come to life, is very powerful to me. Um, 
I want kids to know that they are not alone. I want kids to know that they have a community that loves them. I want kids to know that they are who they are. And that is okay. There is no changing that. And you are born this way. It's not a choice. Mm-hmm. And um, so that aspect is very important to me, especially the outreach that uh, the prom does for the for LGBTQ youth. Like um, we've worked with Ali Forney Center and um, the Tyler Clementi Foundation, to name a few. Um, it's also important. But then you really get me when you throw in Brooks, Beth, Chris, Angie, which is just like the best people in show business. These are the people that you look up to. These are comedy gods. You just, you cannot do it better than they do. And um, that's thrilling. Uh, When I started the show, I started off in the ensemble. I think I had one line. My line was, my son doesn't have to go to some gay prom. And... I stayed with the show. I left Finding Neverland just because I wanted to work with these people and because I wanted to understudy Brooks. Like, um, yeah. So the show means a great deal to me. They're they're absolutely incredible, and you're incredible in the show too. Thanks. And the yeah. So the part the part of the storyline that I left out was that the the actors you have mentioned are these. Uh, washed up Broadway actors in the show, not mm-hmm. in real life, uh, who who decide to take on a cause and be activists, and you are their publicity, their PR agent, right? That gets yeah. them gets them back and is like, "This is perfect. Well, uh, well, well, get your images back." Yeah. Um, <laughs> did you do any research into into no. being a PR agent? Are no. you like screw it? No, I mean because it's not that type of role, like. It's not Brian Cranston and Network. <laughs> you know, like I'm a secondary character to the secondary characters. So my job is to support them. I get a few good singers. I have to dance my ass off at the end. And that's my gig. The most research I did was uh I can never say his name right. Oh God. Rick Mom. Uh, yeah, yeah, who's a PR guy. Um, at first, Ann Roth was like, who designed the costumes? So she's a wickedly funny woman. Um, and just, you know, she's in her 80s and Mira, she's still Miramontes? Rick Miramontes? I don't know. his last name, I think so. But yeah. she was like, well, I think he should look like he has sweat stains all over him and the suit should be wrinkly. And I was like, no, he's not Willie Loman. <laughs> this is what he should look like. And she was like, oh, well, okay, it's your quarter. Um, so, yeah. Well, yeah, so we're not saying, Rick, we're not saying you have sweat stains. No, no, I was saying, because Rick, you're so glamorous. Like, he, he has these incredible suits. He is. He always comes in looking impeccably exactly. dressed. And I was like, these four, you know, quote unquote celebrities are not going to hang out with Willie Loman. Yeah. Like, they're, they're too. E- you know, egotistical for that. You mentioned you're the understudy for Brooks, who's one of the principal characters, but you're also one of the main characters yourself, Yeah. Right? How common is it for somebody who is regularly on stage in a very substantial role to also be an understudy for another substantial role? Not often. It happened uh, right before I got to Wicked, like way back then. 
Um, Jenna Lee Green was playing Nessa Rose and also covered Alphaba. Same thing with uh, my Nessa, who was Dee Dee Magno. Uh, Dee Dee Magno Hall, forgive me, Dee Dee. Uh, she also covered Alphaba. So it doesn't happen often. But it was also like, you know, Barry, watching Brooks develop Barry over the past however many years, I was like, that is a part that I need to play, that I want to play. And it has to be a part of my deal. Like, it, I, I have to cover it. So that was part of You negotiated that? Like you said, I want to I cover yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, I was lucky because they wanted me to anyway. But I told my agency, I was like, I, you have to get me to cover Brooks. And they're like, are you sure? Don't you just like want to enjoy the ride? I was like, I have to cover Brooks. And it's so much fun. I love going on. How many times have you been on now? You've been on ten. Ten times? Yeah. Yeah. I still have not seen you as 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 Brooks, I think, or as his role. I would love to I'm a phenomenon. Phenomenon. I'm just kidding. No, it's so much fun. It's crazy. Well, like, when does a big girl get to like stand center stage and sing a song? Like an eleven o'clock number. It doesn't happen all the time. Not enough. Yeah. So I'm happy to be that Bonnie Mulligan gave me the torch metaphorically, and now I am getting to do that. It's fun. Yeah, Brandon Uranowitz said that to me too. Uh, something similar was that you, you have there's a problem in uh, lack of representation on stage in that now in Burn This, he's for the first time, he's getting to play an openly gay character as a gay man. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like in his however long his career is, you know, yeah, over a sure. decade, this is the first time that's happened. That's interesting. Um, well, it's fun getting to be a big man playing an openly big man. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Thanks. So getting back to the prom, though, the audience feedback, do you do you get stopped at the stage door? Do people come up to you and talk to you? And I mean, what kind of feedback do you get? Constantly. Um some of it is really, really painful. Some of it is, you know, you hear a lot of kids that are really being put through it whose families are terrible to them because of who they are that just refuse to acknowledge it. Some are very religious and, you know, saying that these kids are going to hell. Um, this one man... Uh, man, he was, you know, maybe about 21. I left the stage door and um, I was signing and then I got to him and he just burst out sobbing, like, you know, like ugly crying. And uh, told me that he's bi, that he's never said that to anybody before. He doesn't know what to do. He knows that his family, like, won't take it well and he, he feels so alone. And so... You know, it's um, it, it's 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 hard because it's like I, what can I do for you? I can give you a hug. I can let you know that you're not alone, that you're loved. I can tell you to DM me on Instagram if you need someone to talk to, but I can't. You know, I want I I want you to be free of this, of this sadness and guilt. But um, you know, I can't do that. Does that does that weigh down on you a lot? I mean, because um, if you're getting this every night, I imagine it's not every night, but um, it's a lot. So, you know, I but I've been through a lot. I have very thick skin, and um, 
because of the stuff that I've been through in my own personal life, I'm able to, oh gosh, sort of like, uh, you know, uh, I can come compartmentalize it. Is that the right word? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so I can be there for you, giving you my genuine love, but also not taking it home with me mm-hmm. because I can't do that. You you take it you take your love home to your two cats. I do, Sweeney and Toby. <laughs> They're really cute. They're amazing. Yeah. Um it it's it's interesting to me. Uh I've talked with a lot of people who have come out later in life and now even recently in talking with Michaela Diamond from the Share Show, who identifies as bisexual and like she's 19. And it's just this she has this worldly knowledge about her that I don't see. They even like still some 19 year olds I don't see. I don't, I don't see in some 19 year olds, but like when you were growing up, or, you know, we're the same age, right? So like when I was growing up and I'm generalizing you with, with me here sure. is like the internet was still brand new. We had, I had modems, right? Yeah. And didn't have broadband until college. And then once I got the internet, I didn't know how to seek out people like me, whether that was clubs or orientations or interests or whatever the case may be. And now I feel like people are coming out at a younger and younger age, um, as well they should. Um, but you you said even that you were bullied in high school, like thrown, people were throwing oh, rocks yeah. at you. Like, did you, when did you, did you come out? When did you know that you were gay? <clears throat> well, um, I started coming out when I was about 16 but only it wasn't because I was like, you have to know the secret about me. It was like, a, you know, I'm tough. I was like, oh, you know what? You're right. I am gay and I'm going to make a hate crime out of this. Um, I'm going to go to the principal's office. I'm going to identify you in a yearbook and I'm going to take care of this. And I'm going to systematically destroy your life as best as I can. Like that was my mindset when I was 16. Even when I came out to my parents, I came out to them in a fight. Really? Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, then I guess I'll just go stay at my boyfriend's. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I, you know, I, I've got a bit of an edge uh, in, that, in that way. So, What did they do? Or were they, did they think you were serious? I think they were a little shocked. But then again, how could they not know? That would be some pretty heavy denial. Um so, I mean, they were fine with it. I remember my dad used to say, like, you know, I'm fine with that. Just don't wear it on your sleeve. And at first, I took so much offense to that. Yeah. But then I was like, no, he's, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, he was just trying to protect me. You know, just like to this day, I don't feel comfortable holding hands mm-hmm. in public. I do because my personality is like, nope, we are here. See us. Um, but, um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've obviously gone through some rough times. I want to talk about the good stuff for a little bit. Okay. <laughs> uh, 09, your Broadway debut. Yeah. In Hair. But you were you were about to quit. Like, yeah. you just like half-assed the audition, right? Oh, yeah. That, that first audition, I was just like, you know, oh, go fuck yourselves. Like, you're not going to cast me. Um, I even tried to turn down the audition. I was like... You had an agent. I had an agent. Um, my agent at the time, who was wonderful, got me the appointment and said, uh, and I was like, yo, 
I'm fat and I'm balding. I'm not going in for hair. And he was like, no, they, they really, really want to see you. And I was like, nope. And then he called me again. And I was like, fine, fine. I'll do 32 bars. That's it. And I walked into the audition. It was at the public theater. And I was like, I, what did I sing? I think I sang uh, River um, by uh, Joni Mitchell. And um, I did 32 bars. And I was like, bye. And that was it. And then they just kept bringing me back and bringing me back and bringing me back. And then um, the final callback was this like monster marathon of a callback. There was like 50 people in the room maybe um, auditioning for five slots. And, um, you know, one guy broke his knee during the dancing. During the audition? Yeah. It was was really intense. Um, And then I waited outside in the hallway for like three hours before I got to go back in and sing and do the scenes. And I was just so defeated. I was like, I'm not booking this. I hate this world. I called my agent, left him a voicemail saying like, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to go back to school. Um, I can't, I can't do this again. And he called me back the next morning and was like, you know, oh my gosh, I totally understand. Um, whatever you need, but before you take the break, I think you should be in the Broadway revival of Hair because they just offered you this. (laughs) You know, like, it it was very overwhelming. Um, Do you remember where you were? Yeah, I was in my apartment. Um, I was doing a children's theater show in New Jersey. So I was getting ready to go to that. And... um, you know, like, I really didn't want to. I was in such a bad mood. I was, I think I was doing Weight Watchers at the time, like one of the 8,000 times I've done it. And I was like, fuck it, I'm getting waffles. And I ordered <laughs> waffles and like, I was basically crying into my waffles sitting Shiva over hair when I got hair. Um, I think I called my mom first and then uh, my boyfriend at the time, I called him next. That's funny. Yeah. And you've also been in Elf and Finding Neverland, as you mentioned, and Groundhog Day with Andy Carl. And then, of course, now The Prom. Yeah. And you've also done uh, improv training. Yeah. At at the Upright Citizens Brigade. Um, Good old UCB. Um, Though my love for improv really, like UCB gave me a lot of good training. Um a lot of good experience, but The Magnet is my favorite uh, improv place in New York. Um, I love doing musical improv. I even was on like a little tiny indie team that died real quickly. Um, <clears throat> we were called the Bubble Pops. And uh, I love it, especially musical improv when it's like, give me a word. Tomatoes. Okay, thank you. And now we're doing Tomatoes the Musical. And then the pianist starts improvising and you do an opening, you know, and you create a whole musical. It's so much fun. And then half of them have got on to Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and that's how Fun Home started. <laughs> Crazy, right? Yes. King Kong the Musical. Who would have yeah. thought of that? Somebody was like, Ring of Keys. And I was like, Ring of Keys the Musical. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Oh, Jillian's looking at us. Jillian's funny. looking at us. She's, <laughs> Josh, Jillian's looking at Stop us. Stop objectifying my body. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, right. Yeah, you guys are like, my wife, Jillian. Let's see. Um, I want you to. <laughs> I want to. I want to get a little uh, phone sex action. Okay. What was your character? Who were you? Um, her name was Fiona. Fiona. Yeah. So, do you want to call me? Bring, bring. Okay, so I'm sitting in a cubicle because this was an actual office. And so the bring, bring would happen, and I'd sigh, and then I'd pick up the phone, and that's when I would hear an automated voice telling me what kind of call this is, which means about 90% of the time it says, Fantasy Girl, which is your main character, Fiona. Or it says something else. It could be, you know, trans woman, um, uh, you know, dominatrix. Spanking, like whatever is your thing. But most of the time, it's always Fiona. So, bring, 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 bring. Hi, this is Fiona. Who's this? Yeah, this is uh, this is Mark. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. Mm, I really like your voice, Mark. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, Where yeah. are you calling from? Oh, um, Ohio. Oh, my God. I've always wanted to get banged in Ohio. Um, so let me tell you about me. I'm 21, 5'2", got really big breasts, um, a muscular vagina. <laughs> no, but I, I I would say, like, I don't know anything about the anatomy of a woman, so I was probably describing, like, a centaur or something. I have vagina dentata, have, teeth in my vagina. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm sure that got them every time. Oh, yeah. Um... Okay, so you've also done uh, some television. Yeah. You've been on 30 Rock and Inside Amy Schumer and The Good Fight and a couple more. Do you see more of the television in your future? Are you just I hope that? so. Oh, my God. Why do Broadway when you can work for two days and make real money? <laughs> um, my God, yes. If you're out there, put me on your damn TV show. Um, I could be on Law & Order. I could be like, yeah, I saw Alan the other day. Is everything okay? Donk, donk. Like, why not? Donk, donk. That's all I want to respond to everybody. Donk, donk. Hey, how you doing, Josh? Donk, donk. Yeah, Cut exactly. to interior, studio, yeah. podcast recording. No, I hope so. I love doing TV. It's so much fun. Yeah. The, the scene with Alec Baldwin looked like it was a lot of fun on Third. I Rock. love him. He is funny. I mean, he is everything that you think he is. He is a strong personality. But he is the nicest. Um, I had so, he was wickedly funny. Um, yeah, I, I loved getting to work with him. That's a lot of fun. And your newest one of newish one of your newest projects. Your newest project uh, is a podcast, which I'm helping you make. Yeah, you are. Bam, bam. What's it called? It's called Josh Swallows mm-hmm. Broadway. <laughs> And what's it about? Plug um, yourself. Oh, gosh. Well, it's it's me talking with some of my favorite people in the business. We have, uh, you know, in the first few episodes, we're going to have Matthew Morrison, Rachel Bay Jones, Christian Borrell, Stephanie J. Block. Like, it's, it's all my favorite people, all people that I've looked up to for forever. Um, I talk about their lives. So we laugh a lot. We be silly. And um, now and then, uh, oh, my favorite part. I've had fans write in questions, and I said, great, I would love to call you live on the show and talk to you about your question if you're up for it. But what they don't know is that they're also going to get to talk with a really special, you know, Broadway celebrity. Um, So it's really fun seeing them 
get like career advice or life advice or whatever um, from people that they idolize. Yeah, the questions. The questions have been wonderful. The audience. I mean, the the, the remote audience. You know, yeah. our, the guests have been absolutely incredible. So you know, I think. You're doing a wonderful job. Thanks. And, I'm so excited. And uh, yeah, we'll help you on this podcast, help you announce that once it goes live. Yay. Which should be in the next couple of weeks, I hope. Yeah. Um, so cool. So to wrap up this podcast, we normally do three standard questions. Okay. Number one, very simply, what motivates you? Hmm. Nothing. <laughs> um, what motivates me? I guess uh, stability motivates me. Because I have none, because I'm an actor. So that's like what I'm always striving for. That's interesting. That's such a unique answer. I don't know. I'm very I am I'm, I'm very business minded all the time. So somebody will be like, oh my gosh, this happened. Yay for your show. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, no, that's good because of X, Y, and Z. And they're like, uh, I was just saying congratulations. Um, yeah. All right, number two. What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Um, to myself, I would say be nice to my friend Josh. Um, to other people, I would say be kind to everyone. Everybody remembers an asshole. Be the kindness. All right. And if you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? That sounds terrible. Sorry. You could only see one show. Mm -hmm. um, it's like Groundhog Day. You can only go to one show boy, for the rest of your life. Um, you know what? I'm going to do something real crazy and say The Crucible. <laughs> I love The Crucible. It's a great show. I'll never be in it either. You know, I saw Alan sign the devil's book. <laughs> We can get more of you on Instagram at josh.layman, on Twitter at joshlayman, and of course, joshlayman.com. You can get more of me, theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter, facebook.com slash official theater podcast. Listen, subscribe, rate, review, share with your friends. This is produced by Jillian Hockman. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And once again, we have just launched our Patreon page, patreon.com slash thetheaterpodcast. Please show your support. Help us keep going. We can do more than one episode a week if we can pay our editor some more. Everything is great. Thank you for listening. Josh, thank you for being here. I love you. Thank you for having <laughs> me. Do you want to hook up? Every day. I'll do it as Fiona. It makes you feel more comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> take a deep breath make the world a little colorful hey it's leslie Odom jr here on the broadway podcast network to tell you about the rise theater directory a program of maestro music rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E. -R -R -E -E dot org because only together we rise.